Welcome to Protect Your Money with FSCS, the podcast from the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. I'm Caroline Rainbird, FSCS Chief Executive, and in this series, the fantastic FSCS team will help you understand how we can help to protect your money so you can feel confident your money is safe. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode 13 of the FSCS podcast. I'm Farah Baldock, communications and stakeholder business partner here at FSCS, and I'll be taking over from my usual host, Jess Spires, for today's episode. Many of our podcast listeners will know that FSCS, the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, is here to protect customers of authorised financial services firms that have gone bust by paying eligible people the compensation they are owed. We protect many financial products and activities, but not all of them. And this podcast series aims to demystify FSCS and help you understand how we protect your money. For today's episode, however, in celebration of Black History Month, we're taking a step away from our usual format with a slightly longer episode to focus on what is perhaps less well-known about FSCS, our commitment to being a responsible business. We have three guests joining us today to talk about what FSCS is doing behind the scenes to promote diversity and inclusion and tackle racial inequity. Our first guest is David Blackburn, Chief People Officer at FSCS. Welcome, David. Uh, Good morning, Farah. It's lovely to be here. I'm very excited to be on my first FSCS podcast. Thanks, David. And our second guest is a longtime member of the FSCS team. Teresa, could you tell our podcast listeners a little bit more about yourself? Good morning, Farah. Yeah, sure. So my name is Teresa Agamore. Um, I've been at the scheme since 2013 when I joined. And during my time there, I've seen a wealth of DNI kind of initiatives um, been run. I believe the DNI initiative kicked off in 2014 and we had like a DNI week and it just covers everything in terms of women empowerment, age, LGBTQ, race. More recently, we're talking about menopause, being carers. I've just seen how FSCS has evolved over the years in terms of caring for its employees and just wanting our well-being to be the best so that we can show up as our best selves at work. It's brilliant to have you on the podcast with us, Teresa. And finally, a warm welcome to Emmanuel from the Alito Foundation, one of the organisations that FSCS partners with to support our diversity and inclusion work in the community. Thank you for having me and good morning, everyone. Well, afternoon, wherever you're listening to this from. My name is Emmanuel, Director of Fundraising and Partnerships at the Alito Foundation. We're a charity set up in 2011 and our, our mission is to help young people from any background, any ethnic minority or low income background, have all of the tools and skills and networks they need to become leaders and go on to the best leadership positions and influence, make positive influences. So really happy to be here. I've been working on the the partnership with the FSCS since we started, you know, back in 2020 when we kicked things off. So really excited to to discuss and, and talk this morning. Before we kick off the conversation, I would just like to pre warn our guests that we will, of course, be asking them our usual closing question. FSCS is all about protecting your money, but which toy would have got them breaking open their piggy banks as a child? So that's just something you can all have a little think about, or maybe you know exactly what toy that would have been already. Right, so let's start off with talking about why it's important to be having these conversations, especially during Black History Month. So Black History Month is both a time to celebrate and a time to learn about and understand Black history and culture. Starting conversations and having a dialogue about all of this is really important and can help people learn and understand what black history and culture is all about. But of course, everyone has a very personal experience and um, it would be great to hear a bit more about what Black History Month means to you. So Teresa and Emmanuel, especially coming from black British backgrounds yourself, it would be great to hear a little bit more about your own experiences around race and what uh, this month means to you. But also, David, I know you're very, very entrenched in a lot of this, and it would be great to hear your thoughts too. Teresa, let's start off with you. So um, I was born in the United Kingdom, but to a parent or mother who migrated here um, several years before I was born. 
I've been raised in an inner city area, which is predominantly black, but is quite diverse. I went to the University of Portsmouth, which is still diverse, but slightly less. It's, you know, sandy coasts and beach and lovely, completely different to the urban inner city area that I was raised in. And when I joined FSCS, though I'd done volunteering opportunities at various organisations, it was my first role or first organisation that I'd worked at in financial services and in the corporate sector. One thing that I remember struck me was how friendly and wonderful and bubbly everyone was. It was completely different to some of my other friends' experiences. And that theme has continued throughout my time here. I say that to also kind of emphasise how that's connected to why it's important to continue having these conversations during Black History Month. As a inner city child who came from a slightly different background, I think I know from speaking to some of my friends and just generally within the community, some people struggle to do that shift between education into employment and then also not necessarily feeling completely welcomed or seeing themselves within their colleagues. And my experience was different at FCS, which was positive. I think it's good to keep having these conversations because it also allows enlightenment, exposure, and just like different people to be able to hear and see some of the experiences of their colleagues. And just, it helps break down certain invisible barriers, if that makes sense. I know within the community, people talk about like code switching and stuff like that. At FSCS, I didn't need to do that and I didn't feel the need to do that. But having these kind of conversations helps reinforce the fact that we're all human. Um, we all come from different backgrounds and we all have different experiences. But ultimately, we're there to work together to serve customers and just we're just we're human. But yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Teresa, for, for that. It's funny. I mean, a lot of what you've said. A lot of your story, very similar to mine, you know, born in the UK from parents who migrated um, from from West Africa. So my, my mum's from Ghana. My dad, well, my mum was raised in Ghana, but born in the UK. My dad's from Nigeria and Sierra Leone. So my experience being a black man in the UK has been, you know, grew up in inner city London and went to, you know, went to schools that, funny enough, were so, you know, black dominated and mostly black dominated that we would actually look for the one or two white kids in our year to put them on our you know prospectus to show our diversity so completely the opposite of what happens in many places today and you know that that had a real you know shaping experience for me where I'd been in environments where everywhere you look you know the majority of people you see you just look at them and you know they've got similar home life similar parental upbringing or you assume because actually what I came to to learn is that how different people came to the UK really shapes their experience that they, that they have there. So, you know, my, my parents coming from a West African background and migrating around, you know, the 90s for, you know, having having degrees in, you know, Ghana and Nigeria and coming over to the UK to look for work. I had a very different start to people whose parents came or grandparents came in the Windrush generation, for example, and they're two or three generations, you know, British, I, I suppose. And that shapes a lot. And I know we talk about Black History Month, but we do have to consider just how different everybody's experience is within that and how you know, we've come to be here. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why Black History Month, I think, is it ha one of the potential opportunities that Black History Month brings. It allows us to look back at the past and say, how did we get here, you know, to where we are? And there's a lot more to Black history than slavery. You know, Black people existed before then and we've existed afterwards. And there've been so many different events in history that have led to where things are today. But looking back, especially for me, has helped me think about how I can look forward. You know, when I look back at my parents who migrated to the UK at a time when there was, you know, hyperinflation in Nigeria and the, the value of the Naira really dropped. And my dad said, I've got a degree and I'm, you know, working this rubbish job, getting rubbish pay. I'm out of here. Well, hopefully we don't get to that point here, but you know, things aren't looking too great at the moment economically but then thinking okay he made that jump he made that shift his experience was you know fueled by that and I'm here at a similar point in my life where I'm thinking about how I make better decisions for my family you know so looking back gives me some a reference point for how to make decisions moving forward and so there, there's so much more potential than being just a, a token gesture. I, I so totally agree with what both Emmanuel and Teresa you know have said and I think you know two really things that I really want to 
follow up on. You know, one, I think the point that Theresa made about seeing yourself represented in the organization, you know, why is, you know, diversity and inclusion, you know, absolutely central to everything we do at the financial services compensation scheme. We know that, you know, the financial services industry is not particularly diverse, you know, historically. And why would you, if you were, you know, in Teresa's situation, thinking about, you know, I've left university, I'm thinking about where I want to work, what's my first job? If you look at an organization and it's the opposite of a manual school where actually, you know, everybody, you know, the vast majority of people in senior leadership roles are, you know, white, then you don't see yourself represented. I think that's such an important thing. You know, actually, we've got to create people have got to see role models. They've got to think, actually, this is a career pathway in which I can be successful. And also recognizing, as Emmanuel said, that the lived experience of individuals is completely unique to them. And too often, I think that whilst we recognize and we should celebrate that we have shared experiences based on our backgrounds, our communities, our upbringings, actually, we're all human beings and we are all completely individual and our own life journey to get to this point will be completely unique to us. And I'm often asked, because they'll go, oh my God, what's that middle-aged white man doing on the Black History Month podcast? You know, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, the, the understanding intersectionality. You know, my experience of discrimination is that, you know, I am an out gay man. You know, I was the victim of homophobic violence in my, uh, when I was younger. So, you know, I have my own lived experience of what, being outside of and I hate that word but you know being outside of the majority or being in a group that is you know separate because of you know a particular characteristic but I also know that you know one of the things that I recognized six seven years ago when we started talking about intersectionality was that said you know it has not been you know my sexual orientation has not been a barrier to my own success like a personal success but that's because I'm a white middle class you know man who went to grammar school you know so I do recognize that it's all of those you know the individual the experience of the individual and I think that that's why I'm so passionate not just about you know diversity but why I think equity is so important I talk a lot about you know equality is treating everybody the same equity is recognizing that not everybody is starting from the same place. And if we're not starting from the same place, then the actions that we need to take need to be targeted to support those individuals. So that's why we have a Black Talent Sponsorship Programme. That's why we have a Women's Leadership Development Programme at the FSES. We recognize that actually you need to take positive action in order to level the playing field. And only by doing that do you create an inclusive environment where everyone can succeed in achieving both their personal and their professional goals. I'm glad you mentioned action. This year's theme of Black History Month is actually time for change, action, not words. Taking action to change things for the better is vital. David, maybe you could tell us a bit more about what FSCS is doing on this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to build on, you know, this, this whole theme of this month about action, you know, I'm constantly saying change does not happen by osmosis. You know, if you want to create a diverse and inclusive, equitable organization, culture or society, the only way that happens is by us committing to take action. So the FSS are proud signatories, founding signatories of the Business in the Community Race at Work Charter. We've been actively involved with the business in the community since 2014. And I was very fortunate, actually, to be at the launch event at, at Number 10 Downing Street in, uh, in happier and less turbulent uh, times. But one of the big things is actually what it's saying is it makes organizations have a commitment. You have to commit to having a person of color on your board. You have to commit to having a executive board champion for diversity and inclusion in your organization. You have to commit to publishing your ethnicity pay gap data. You have to commit to having zero tolerance of bullying and harassment. 
uh, on the grounds of race in your organization. And I think that, you know, unless you commit to take action, which is why I feel quite passionately about this month's theme, then nothing changes. And as a result of that, you know, over the course of the last three years, I'm hugely proud, as we all are at the FSCS, that, you know, in 2019, we were recognized as the UK's 40th most inclusive employer in the top 50 employers list. And last December, uh, we were recognized as number four. So we've gone up 36 places in three years. That's because of, you know, the, the, the practical action. I think that and it's not just this work is never done. It's a journey. It's a journey for us as individuals. It's a journey for us as organisations. It's a journey for us in society. Great. And what's next? The Black Talent Sponsorship Programme, you know, came out of that search for what more can we do? How more can we support colleagues? And came out of the conversations that we'd had internally as an organisation, colleague-led in response to, you know, Black Lives Matters. And actually it was a request of our people and we said that's what we're going to create. And, you know, we're now in year two as a sponsee. So basically the program means that every member of the executive or seven of us all have um, a sponsee in the organization. And uh, I was really lucky that Teresa uh, was my sponsee in uh, year one. Uh, Teresa and I started in the organization at the sa in the same year, actually. I remember when Teresa uh, was sitting uh, on reception as a temp back right in the very, very early days and working in the post room. I will let her tell you what the dizzying heights of her amazing career success in the organization. But the incredible things, you know, before I hand over to Teresa, and the, the last thing I'd say is that what's been so powerful about that as a program is us learning from each other. And, you know, it's not just about you as a senior sponsor imparting your wisdom and about your career journey. You know, I, Teresa and I had lunch the other, the other day, you know, and, and we're talking about her friends and, you know, her girls weekend away. And, you know, there's something about how you build such, you know, powerful personal relationships. And it really makes you reflect on how to be a better senior leader in the organization because you're having those conversations it's absolutely and now you know in year two you know i'm i'm working with a you know, new colleague and in exactly the same way you know i'm le I, i'm learning as much as i hope they are now i hope hopefully Teresa says i was fabulous so of course david of course <laughs> <laughs> no um just to add to that especially in terms of the sponsorship program i think when i found out that you were my sponsor, I was beyond elated because like you said, we started similar times or same year, but then also it's what I needed in terms of what I needed as a sponsor. So going back a little bit in terms of when we're talking about like workplace and journeys and stuff like that, I know when I first joined, like I said, FSS was friendly, it is friendly, still friendly. And so I was able to fit right in and relate with different colleagues, but then outside of work, life experience and as you progress things happen and I noticed that personally I started implementing a ceiling upon myself um, and I was doing professional exams because I was training to become a qualified um, chartered accountant and naturally if you do an exam and you don't pass it can be disheartening <laughs> um, and so especially if you're coming from an African background where <laughs> you know if you get a B the question is why didn't you get an A if you get an A why didn't you get the, where's the star so that just Literally. sticks with you. Exactly. That's exactly it, Emmanuel. And so whenever like, I didn't get a result that I wanted or if I didn't pass a module, I started developing this complex around being inadequate, not being smart, even though I know that I am smart and that I am capable. And so ultimately I started implementing a certain ceiling upon myself and I feel like I wasn't as ambitious. I wasn't as forthcoming as I was when I first joined the organization and so in 2020 following the conversations and when I was chosen to be on the Black Talent Sponsorship Program I was number one very grateful for the opportunity but then also when I was when I found out that I was paired with David I was just like a, pe a person like David his personality his character his role, like who he is in the organisation, it was a perfect fit and it was exactly what I needed. David made our conversations seem completely normal. There wasn't this hierarchical, he's a 
chief people officer and I'm just a member of staff. Like he brought it down. He was able to relate with me, even though we come from different backgrounds at the same time, we had similarities um, in certain areas and certain perspectives at times. And so just me just basically saying, thank you, David. <laughs> It's written digitally, but I'm saying thank you again, um, because the pairing. Thank the you. No, thank perfect. you. You know, you know how, you know, much, you know, that's why we still carry on seeing each other mm -hmm. and talking, because I just think it's been such a great experience. But then at yeah. the same time, the fact that FSCS created that opportunity, I feel like it wasn't necessarily, and I might be wrong, it probably wasn't necessarily written as like, this is one of the outcomes, but it was a beautiful byproduct of the initiative and I know that the other sponsees would say something similar about their sponsor and the fact that now it's evolved to a talent sponsorship program which is aimed at employees from ethnic and minority backgrounds it brings a level of realness to work that I can't explain it enables staff to just continue pursuing because I also think one other thing I'll, I'll probably add, and then I'll probably get Emmanuel to share from a, his work experience background, is that sometimes you can reach for the stars and see yourself in certain positions. But then once you've reached a certain position, if you don't have that representation or if you don't have that bridge to other areas, so whether it's a member of the exec or a member of the board, sometimes you can not lose your aspiration, but it just it makes it a little bit more challenging. Whereas through having those conversations, through um, being in an organization that actually isn't hierarchical, even though there are positions, um, the member of the exec speak to us when they see us in the hallways, in the cafeteria, that culture within the organization helps continue to bridge that gap. And it shows, it shows in our commitment. It shows in me being at the scheme for 10 years when it was a temp position, as David said. Yeah, so, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you mentioned something at the end, which def I can definitely understand that I, the idea that even once you've reached a certain position, there can be some unspoken, you know, challenges or let's say ideas that we've learned from before, which can impose, you know, ceilings on ourselves you know, talk less of the ceilings outside of ourselves, you know, just, just those personal ceilings. And I think that's, that's, you know, why two things, one, we were really, you know, happy to get involved in working with the FSCS around the time that you were building the sponsorship program to, to, I guess, add an, an extra layer to helping younger people in the community, you know, outside of the workplace. And, and also that's, you know, why, why we really started the foundation in the first place. I mean, what we, a, a little bit about how, you know, the foundation kicked off. So our, our chair, who's still our chair, was our founding chair, a man called um, Kenalisa, so Sir Kenalisa. Um, he, he's got, he's had an incredible journey. So he was born in a council estate in Nottingham to a black, black dad that he didn't grow up with and a white mum, mixed race. And I mean, he, he showed me pictures of the house he grew up in. He had an outside toilet. So that probably shows you two things. One, a bit of his age, because you wouldn't get away with something like that today. But also, you know, his income and his background level, very poor background. But through support from people, through sheer determination and grit, he went on to study at Cambridge, which was incredible. And at that time, you know, someone from his background studying at Cambridge, what on earth are you doing there? But then from then, went on to work at IBM became one of their most senior staff members, then went on to become the first black board member of a FTSE 100 company. You know, so that was incredible. And that his career has just gone on from then. And about 10 years ago at um, the Powerlist Awards, so where they published the most, the 100 most influential black people, you know, him after that award ceremony, him and a couple of other people got together around the table, a few black people, black cultural and business leaders said, what can we do to help the next generation get to where we are, but just 10 years, 20 years sooner? Because once you've got, you know, a few people that have made it to some heights that quite frankly, at that time, nobody would have thought they'd be able to and stay there. And the next question is, how do we make this a generational thing? How do we make this the norm? And what can we do so that this is no longer exceptional, but this is expected? And that's where out of that, you know, dinner came one, one leadership program for a school nearby in the summer. And that's, you know, since then become a, a charity that's helped over a thousand young people come through leadership and mentoring programs since then. I myself did the program years back and 
that was for me the first time doing the program was the first time I'd been in a room where there are both, you know, black people, white people, Asian people who are, you know, senior in business, spending time talking to me about the options that I've got and telling me about how to become a real leader and how to get rid of some of those self-imposed limitations I had. Because for me, you know, when I was at school, all I thought I could do to be successful, popular was football. That didn't work out too well. <laughs> or music or, you know, going down the crime route and, you know, drugs and gangs. And unfortunately, I've got friends who, quite a few friends that went down that path. So the, the idea of, you know, working with people to help them see what they can do, help them unlock their potential and then giving some guidance for them to do it. But I mean, David, you'll have seen this with Teresa. All you need to do is just light, you know, light the flame or find the flame that's already kind of flickering, but then it grows and it grows and it takes off by itself. And, and that's really what, you know, these types of partnerships are about. They're not about you know, just lowering your standards and saying, we'll just take anybody because they're black or because they're, you know, this color or this demographic and saying that we've got them. It's about realizing everybody has potential regardless of their race and regardless of where they've come from. And how can I work with this person to unlock their potential? And if we do that, you know, everybody's better off for it. Because I, I think about it like this, it, it doesn't help me if I'm doing well and I'm wealthy, but my neighbor is poor because one day they might break into my house and try and take some of my stuff. <laughs> you know, it, it, it helps us if, if we can look around our communities and make everybody, you know, grow and progress. So when we talk about working with like black communities or people from particular communities, we, we shouldn't have a kind of scarcity mindset where it's us or them and we can't all, you know, grow and improve together. Actually it's how can we all do better because then we all contribute better to our businesses, we all live better lives, we all have better interactions and it, you know, goes on from there. So, I mean, we've been really pleased with, with the partnership and with the actions that have come out of that. We, you know, I'm sure we'll speak a bit more about the details of it, but, you know, these types of community and business links, really, really important to spread the impact beyond, you know, the staff you're currently working with and the staff that you'll probably be working with in five or 10 years time, because that's really important. I love what you said, Emmanuel, about, you know, um, you know, not having a scarcity mentality, you know, having an abundance mentality, which is something we talk a lot about at the FSS, which is there is more than enough success for everyone to go around. And actually, how do we create an environment where, you know, we are helping it, making it easier for people to give their best every day? You know, that's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. I was on a uh speaking at a conference this week and somebody said you know first question you know what's the what's your personal purpose and i was like build better more inclusive workplaces that's it because actually and actually teresa has been very modest in saying actually of course she passed all of those exams and actually you know and got promoted and is you know and is a payments manager you know today you know central role in our finance team so all you just, you know, that's the reason I think sponsorship is so important is you just, you know, when you know that you've got somebody looking out for you in the organization who says, oh, I know Teresa would be a really good person to apply for that job or saying to Teresa, you are going to apply for that job, aren't you, Teresa? Which she, which she did, I'm pleased to say. There's one other thing I was just going to add to um, what Emmanuel said, and I loved it when he said it's not about lowering the standard. And I think just to emphasize that point. There was a process. We had to apply. We had to answer questions. The people who were chosen, they show up to work. They do their work well, even sometimes above and beyond. Even sometimes they do it above and beyond. They are great candidates. And I think um, ultimately when it comes to the initiatives that whether it's FSCS or other firms within the financial sector or just people in general, it's not about a handout. It's not about... Um, lowering the standard it is about recognizing potential it is about recognizing greatness and supporting and helping one another and i just want to emphasize that because i know sometimes it seems like these initiatives are just being thrown at people to tick a box and i know that fses doesn't do that for one and many organizations and many places don't um, and they shouldn't yeah and, and if that's happening you know the people who are involved they'll feel it and they'll sense it they'll clock on early and they'll just leave. They'll, you know, they'll just drop out of it, stop engaging. But like you said, Teresa, when you meaningfully, you know, run these types of initiatives, you'll find some incredible results. When we sit young people across the table or virtually from a mentor at a company like the FSCS and, you know, they, they build a report 
one talks about their career journey, the other, you know, and then they get to ask a question about how do we become more inclusive? How do we diversify our recruitment channels and things like that? And you get those really meaningful, you know, responses. You then have the opportunity to tap into what's been for a really long time underserved and under engaged, you know, community of people. You know, we've had people come through our programs that, you know, were born in a council estate in Peckham to a single mother, gone on to become a doctor and, you know, run a program helping other people get into med school with high successes for people from the inner cities, inner cities, right? I know, you know, a few other people that I did the program with, you know, one, again, from a, a poor background, from a West African background, he's just turned 30. He's just landed his second NHS board position, sits on a, on two boards of housing associations and his career is absolutely flying. And he's stuck close to the foundation all those years and had so many people pour into him. And you wouldn't have looked at the kid he was when he was 12 or 13 and said, this is what you're going to do then. Well, he's gone and done it. And the more we can do that, the more we'll stop, you know, limiting people from where they've come. And I know that when people talk about, you know, background these days, we put so much emphasis on where you start and how that affects where you go. And for a large part, it does. But we shouldn't write people off just because they didn't go to a private school at a certain age or just because they didn't hit certain grades at a certain age. I'm not angry at people that go to private schools. If your parents have the money and they think it's a better education for you, sure, go ahead. Why not? But we don't want to think that all the, you know, the 93% of people that haven't gone to private schools can't reach those positions. They should be able to. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to. We just need to think differently about how we give them the types of skill and support and networks, confidence, all of that stuff that people who have, you know, more well-off backgrounds have access to because everybody's got that potential. Everybody can, you know, if they, if we, if you water a flower, it's going to grow. I could go on and on and on, but I'm sure David's itching to, to say something. <laughs> I do think that unlocking the potential of people is our jobs as leaders. And so how do you create an environment where everyone can, you know, that's my, well, that's our organizational definition of inclusivity at the FSCS. You know, we say inclusion is an environment where everyone can succeed in achieving both their personal and professional goals. And it links to our, you know, mission as an organization. We are an organization that is both transactional and transformational. Our mission is to provide a trusted compensation service for customers, which raises public confidence in the financial services industry, you know, and ultimately, you know, our job is to help people get back on track. You know, that's that's central to what we do. And one of the reasons that, you know, the, the business case for diversity and inclusion, I'm, I have to be frank, I'm slightly tired of making it because the facts speak for themselves, you know, or if you are a responsible business, your organization should reflect and look like the communities and customers and consumers that you serve. So, you know, the FSES is a UK organization, so we should reflect in our 250 people, the diversity that we see every day, you know, represented around us. And also, you know, we're based on the edge of the, the city. And actually, the, the and you know this, man, you know, the boroughs that we are surrounded by, you know, Tower Hamlets, you know, Hackney, Newham, yep, yep. are some of the most underprivileged communities in the whole of the UK. So actually, yep. how do we make sure that, you know, we're both, you know, true to the, our responsibility as a customer consumer champion but also how do we make sure that, you know, we're helping to, you know, educate the customers of the future and, and to, you know, to source a workforce from that incredible talent pool. And you're absolutely right. This, you know, there's, that is a massive talent pool and we should be reaching out and connecting with it. I think that that's absolutely right. It's not just about, you know, the people within FSCS, uh, attracting that talent, that's absolutely one of the core things, but that is reflective of the communities that we are in and we must uh, bear that in mind as well. And the work that we do at FSCS about instilling confidence and trust in financial services and the products that we protect, that should be accessible to everyone. And part of that is that everyone sees FSCS as representative of them. And so that's why, you know, it's really important to be talking about this. Um, Emmanuel, you were going to share something as well. 
Yeah, I mean, David and both yourself spoke really well about the recruitment side of things and offering opportunities to people for work. But then you've also got just the value that comes from knowing how to engage with customers from different backgrounds and and individuals from different backgrounds. So if you think about it from an FSCS perspective, you know, a big part of what you do is try to make sure that people don't get screwed over with their money, right? And that, that obviously includes the businesses they work with, but it also is about how people manage their own money. And so when I think about where I learned about money, up until about 18, the two main places I learned about money were from my parents, or three actually, from my parents, from media, and from church. And each of those groups gave different, you know, types of financial habits. You know, I learned from my parents, spend, spend less than you earn, work really hard, get promotions, spend less than you earn, but it kind of stopped there. Didn't know about cashback, didn't know about credit, didn't, other than, you know, just earn a good income so you can, so you can get a mortgage. Didn't know too much about those types of things. You know, then you see, um, media and it's all about, you know, flashy chains and, you know, the most expensive football boots and stuff like that. And from church, you hear a lot about giving, but I didn't, I, w- I think I would have been about 21 when I first found out that the money I give to my church could be gift aided, you know? So it's like, there's so many different areas where I could have learned about money management. I could have learned about how to make more with the money that I've got. One of the things that we did together, Elita and the FSCS was have some people from that were on the black sponsorship you know, program, deliver a financial workshop that they're about to go into schools and, and deliver. That's so incredible. It's so huge because the things you can teach people, the ways you can get young people thinking from now to make smarter habits that in five, 10, 15 years are going to pay like huge rewards. You wouldn't be able to think about the nuances of what people are learning if you're too far removed from the kind of background they've had. And yes, I am a big believer in that there's more that unites us than separates us. And there's more that we have in common than we have that's different. But there are still differences and where those differences are is really powerful to have people that can relate, that get it, that can just go into a school, talk to some young people, let them know how it is and, and, you know, just keep on repeating that cycle. So that's, you know, FSCS, but other businesses, insurance, or, you know, um, any, any industry can do the same. I think you're absolutely right that the work, you know, the financial education work with schools, which came out of, you know, the first year of the Black Talent Sponsorship Programme is incredible. And what an amazing legacy that is, that is, you know, that that work ongoing. You know, the reality is, as we always say, you know, when people say, you know, who do you work for? And I say, well, I work for the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. And they say, oh, I'm not sure I know what that is. And I say, well, uh, look at your banking app on your mobile and you'll see our, you know, and the reality is at any age, everybody in the UK has a bank account. Everyone in the UK, well, the I should say that every most, the vast majority of people, I qualify myself, most people have a bank account. Most people will have some form of insurance product because they'll have insurance on their mobile or their laptop or on the, on the various phones. You know, two of the biggest things that we look after. And I just think that actually you don't want people to become a customer of the FSCS because when you become our customer, ultimately it's gone wrong. What we want is people to be making informed, intelligent decisions about financial products, always checking that, of course, the product is FSCS protected first and foremost. But I think that, you know, that idea that didn't come from the executive, that didn't come from our comms team, that didn't come. That whole idea about financial education came from year one of our Black Talent Sponsorship Program. What an incredible legacy that will have not just in you know the, uh, the local communities near to us but more broadly so i just i think they should feel really proud about that so Teresa, i wanted to ask you a question you know just off that when you look at people in you know the workplace that grew up in different i guess grew up at different income levels to, to how you grew up or different areas do you see big differences in how they approach money to like yourself and some other people that grew up similar to how you did yeah, 100%. I think one of the things that we discussed within the talent sponsorship program was our experiences when it came to money, the things that we wish we had known when we were younger. For example, pensions. My mum knows about a pension. My aunties know about pensions because they've worked and they've worked in organisations where they can contribute into their pension. But actually, the importance of starting early when you're young um, and starting small and how compound interest will, over time, cause that to grow and develop that wasn't hammered 
for example, what you said in terms of your upbringing and your exposure to money, I can completely relate in terms of it being family, church and media. I found that there was, to some degree, there was an emphasis around the financial products that are out there because they've either used it or because as they've grown in their career or had had better access to money, they've known about those products or those things. It wasn't from a like, you sow the seed, you, you, you help develop uh, a young person's mindset around money and how actually their relationship with money over time will grow and develop, whether it's a small child maybe saving to buy a pair of shoes or buy something that they want, or when you get into um, employment, the fact that actually you'll think greater about when, around budgeting, saving for a mortgage, putting into your pension, potentially when you get to a certain age, considering investments. I found that my friends who came from slightly different backgrounds and some of my colleagues were better clued up. Most recently, I was having a conversation around some investment products and having a portfolio and EFTs. And I was just like, to be honest, I'm going to put my hands up. I hear these terms banded around. I'm fairly aware of some of these, but it's foreign to me. And I saw how that translated in terms of how people spent their money. And then when I look at certain people from the older generation, from different backgrounds, I see how actually when it comes to retirement, they're able to have not necessarily a life of leisure, but to some degree a life of leisure and do what they want versus some people who actually have to continue working past retirement age, not by choice, but because they need them income. So yeah, it shows up in different ways and it also shows up in different ways in terms of how people then pass that on to their kids. And I know one of my friends who um, recently had a son who's now four, when he was born, she opened up uh, ISA for him and then has also opened up a stocks and shares ISA for him and she's contributing money into that. Whereas actually when I was born, my mum knew to open a savings account for me and she did open ISA or some whatever it was at the time, she did open a savings account, but it wasn't with that understanding around compound interest or the understanding of what that financial product was. It was more around just don't spend all your money, like you said, spend less than you earn. We've talked about some really fantastic things today, actually, and it's been brilliant to hear about all the action that's been happening and also the way in which FSCS has been really taking on board that whole idea of encouraging allyship and role models and turning those into meaningful actions that will that will go somewhere not just within FSCS but beyond FSCS as well into the community and there are some really really great examples of the things that um, organizations can do and individuals can do as well so I wanted to actually before we wrap up just ask our guest today if there is anything that um, you would want to advise or a top tip that you would want to give to other organisations or individuals who are uh, looking to address diversity and inclusion and uh, racial inequity in the workplace. I always say uh, these uh, three things, engage, listen, and act. I think you have to engage with your workforce. So actually listening to your staff. I shared that, you know, the Black Talent Sponsorship Programme came out of discussions that we had in the organisation, that the desire to work with, um, you know, local schools that we've just been talking about, you know, came was something that, you know, our, our Black colleagues uh, on the Sponsorship Programme generated. So firstly, engage with your workforce, you know, understand your data, understand, you know, the diversity, you know, what representation looks like, not just at a headline level, but at every subsequent layer in your organisation organization. But it's no good if you just engage and then you don't listen. I think you need then to listen to that feedback. But most importantly, you need to take action. And what I see organizations do is often they'll do one of those things. They might even do two of them, but they don't do all three of them. So they'll engage and they'll listen, but they'll take no action. They'll engage, but they won't listen to the feedback and they won't take any action. Or at the opposite end, sometimes organizations take action based on absolutely no data whatsoever. So they haven't asked anybody. They'll just have sat in a room and gone, oh, I think we should do this. No, do those three things. Engage, listen, act. That's what should be shaping your diversity, equity and inclusion strategy. 
See, I don't know if I can really add to what David said because he said it so perfectly and eloquently, um, but I would definitely kind of echo it in my words in terms of understand the why, be genuine, continue having conversations and pay it forward. That's what FSCS did. That's what brought about even us having the safe space to have those conversations that we were having in 2020 because it's been embedded in our culture as an organisation way before then. I think actually, had it not been embedded in our culture, when it came to 2020, certain colleagues probably wouldn't have felt comfortable to speak up and share their experiences. And so even if it might not be the culture of a particular organisation now, start small and be committed to it. And over time, you will see it manifest and spread throughout the organisation. And to Emmanuel's point around paying it forward and the younger generation and the fact that actually the young people that we encounter now will be the ones that we'll be working with in the future. The importance of that and passing down the learnings of just our experiences and our time within the workforce, passing it down to younger generation so that when they do join the workforce, some of the limiting beliefs that they might have are no longer there. The culture, it's more diverse, it's more widespread. And it just helps them show up better and greater. And ultimately, that will show through the organisation's results, performance, and just them being able to be long-standing um, as an organisation and achieve so many awards like we have. So I'd say the first thing is focus on healthy habits and not goals. So I'm reading a book at the moment called Atomic Habits. Excellent book, definitely recommend it. And one of the, one of the key points in the book is that if we focus on healthy habits, you'll consistently do the things that lead to the right results. Whereas if you just focus on goals, you know, goals alone don't change anything. You know, in a race, the person who comes first and the person who comes last both had the same goal. One had different habits than the other. So focus on healthy habits of creating like a healthy workforce, a healthy recruitment strategy, a healthy um, promotion strategy, you know, help think about habits and, and health, and then you'll have the right results because you can have five black people on your you know, exec team and still have a terrible culture. At the same time, you can have no black people in your, in your executive team right now, but still be doing things that will over time lead to some healthy growth and progress. So focus on habits and, and not as opposed to like goals and numbers. Also, I'd say um, leverage trust with people who they trust, right? So, so we, as an organization, we run programs for young people. And because we have senior leaders that look like the young people that we serve, come from a similar background and tell them that we're focused on their leadership development, they sign up for our programs, they trust us, they work with us. So when we turn around and work with companies that they've probably never heard of before, but would really benefit working with, for example, that company FSCS who, you know, you've seen a few of the logos, but you don't really know who they are and what they do never thought about working for them. When we then, you know, work with a company like the FSCS and, and build those relationships, it does wonders to, to build off the trust we have with them and then encourage them to think about you know, them as an employer of choice. So working with people who, you know, young people and who people from different backgrounds trust, like community partnerships is, you know, really, really, really key. And I guess the last thing I'd say, which is slightly related to that is you want to first think about you know, the people that you've got, don't go, you know, creating strategies for people that aren't there. First, think about the people that you've got, but also have the desire and the idea to expand, you know, that pool. So first think about how do we, you know, better work with our potential talent pool, but then how do we expand that? You know, because if, if it's not working for the people that are already around you, it's not going to work for the people that are going to join that, right? So you want to get it right first, get your house in order before you invite guests over. Absolutely. All fantastic points. Thank you, guys. I think I feel like we've had such a brilliant conversation. We've covered so many different things today. And um, before I let you all go, I would just like to bring us back to the question that I asked our guests to think about at the start of the episode. So David, Teresa and Emmanuel, FSCS is all about keeping your money safe but what was the toy that would have got you breaking open your piggy bank as a child? David, let's start with you. So mine um, 
would have been so I think I'm so old so I think in those days um it probably wouldn't have been a karaoke microphone it would have been one of those plastic echo mic uh, <laughs> things because I do love uh to it would that, yeah I would have I love to sing so uh, I was always using hairbrushes and spoons and god knows whatever else as my fake microphone so an echo microphone would be my choice I think for me, it would have been anything Lion King. I loved Simba. I begged my mum to get me the watch, the magazine. In school, they used to, like, towards Christmas, there'll be these magazines. I don't know if primary school still do, do them. There'll be these magazines that they would circulate to parents of, like, different items that they could purchase. And every year, anything Lion King, the CD, the tape, the book, everything concerning Lion King and Simba, that, that was me. So yeah, if I had access to my own piggy bank, I definitely would have broken it to go run to the shop and get something Lion King. Yeah, so for, for me, I so it's funny, I actually had, had this thing, but it's the only thing I can think of that I would have broken a piggy bank for. And it was when I, I was in my early teens and it was a David Beckham football. Now, honestly, he probably never saw it, Never touched it. It wasn't signed. Just branding. I know, but it was a day. It was called the David Beckham ball. It was a purple ball. It, it felt amazing to kick, but I loved it so much that I never played with it. I always just held it and I played with other balls. When I go to the park, I'd bring it with me, but we were not using that ball. No, nope, we're using yours. I remember being at a camp and people said they wanted a touch of the ball. I just held it like a baby. It was so, I don't know what the attachment was. But yeah, that was my my thing. I'm, I'm, you know, just saying it now is is bringing a bit of nostalgia, and I'm, I'm, I'm. I think I'm gonna see if they still have any any in stock. But um, yeah, as soon as yeah, as soon as we cut this recording, I'm, I think I know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> That's great. I hope you find it, Emmanuel, and uh, you you can let us know. If I'll you let you know. Find another one. Well, thank you very much to all our guests uh, today. I think we've had a really, really great chat and it's been a brilliant way to celebrate Black History Month and shine a light on some of the experiences that everybody's had, personal experiences, and also learn uh, some of the great actions that are going on and what um, others could do if they're not already doing great things to try and promote diversity and inclusion. We hope that you've enjoyed our podcast today. And if you're listening and you'd like to find out more about any of our other podcasts, you can find them all on the FSCS website at www.fscs.org.uk and all the usual places that you would find your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. So please do rate and review us. And you can also let us know on our social channels. Just search for at FSCS. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And thank you to our guests today. Bye.